tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I don't want to date myself here. I'm Ben, by the way. But does anybody else remember going to drive through banks and putting, like, envelopes and checks and stuff in those little tubes? I do. Do I get to be a part of the anyone? You are. You're, the group? You're, you're not just anyone. You're someone. I'm Noel, That's as it you. turns out. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There are still some banks, maybe they're, like, uh, abandoned or something that still have those those tubes for the drive through area. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely remember that. I remember I thought it was fun when I was a kid driving through with my mom. She'd let me put the thing in the tube and stick it in the little, you know, uh, little dock, I guess you could call it. Yeah. And then you push a button, I think, and then it goes, zoof. Yeah, it yeah. does make that thump sound. <laughs> um, it actually, I just recently saw the movie Elf for the first time Mm -hmm. and there is a pretty big sequence that takes place in the mail room of a New York City high-rise office building and it's all about pneumatic tubes. They got the tubes. They got the tubes. Uh, Super producer Casey Pegram. Do you remember those those drive-through bank tubes? I have the same memory as Noel. I never did it myself but as a kid going through the driveway with my mom and I remember getting like a, a lollipop or something back when yeah. it would come back the other way. Yeah, exactly. You get your receipt and a lollipop. Yeah, and if we drove through with my dog in the car, sometime there'd be like a, a doggy treat as well. Oh, uh, that's so. That is so endearing. Yeah, I think it's one of those. At least for the three of us, it's one of those uh, little pleasures that your parents give you up there with like the the stereotypical getting to lick the batter when making cookies or, or cake or stuff. I'm more of a fan of licking the battery. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're one of those. It makes me feel alive, you know, yeah, getting yeah. that little jolt. Do you ever do the fork in the outlet? I did that. Don't do what? it. What? Yeah. Doesn't all that kill you? Well, I'm here. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad for that. <laughs> well, the, the thing is that while our experience with these pneumatic tubes, uh, for many of us, may be relegated to bank 
drive-thrus, they actually do have a surprising history. Get this, folks. For more than 150 years, pneumatic tube systems have not just been carrying mail. They've been carrying people. They've been carrying cats. People have been thinking about the idea of using pneumatic tubes for transport since at least 1812. But here's the thing. This was actually, at one point, put into practice. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of considered like the wave of the future. Um, and now you think about it, and it almost has sort of a steampunk vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of, of people traveling in tubes. There's a Tenacious D song where they say, uh, they're talking about City Hall, I think, and they say, in the future, people will travel in tubes. That's all I remember. Um, and they, you know, in London, they refer to the uh, the metro system as, as tubes. As the tube. The tube. Yeah. 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 Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Don't get caught in that gap between the rest of your life and the tube. So if we go back to the science of how a pneumatic tube works, then we're really talking about the concept of vacuum. Not just vacuum cleaners, but, you know, a vacuum. That thing nature abhors. You guys remember. The first experiments on this that we have documented date all the way back to the 9th century A.D. or C.E., whichever you prefer. A philosopher named Al-Farabi used handheld plungers in water, and through his experiments, he realized the volume of air would expand to fill any available space. Yeah, that's right. Uh, There's a great article uh, from gizmodo.com, a brief history of the pneumatic tube transport systems that explains the very thing and that very discovery. And then after um, Al-Farabi's realization about the way uh, vacuum works, scientists were able to actually take this concept and manufacture this very phenomenon um, using those concepts that he, he figured out. Yeah. Yeah, here's what they found. They said that they can, if you expand the volume of any container, you reduce the pressure there and you you can create a partial vacuum. But as soon as air pushes inside that, you know, uh, propelled by atmospheric pressure, uh, you know, the vacuum is gone unless you repeatedly seal the container, pump the air out, expand it again and close it off. If you do that, you can create a sealed vacuum. So let's let's fast forward with help from the Atlantic, who also has a brief history of pneumatic tubes, to 1650. There's a German scientist with this fantastic name. I thought you'd love this one, Noel. Otto von Gurich. Gurich? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Gurich? Yeah, let's see if uh, what Forvo has to say about that. I bet you it's not going to know. Um, let's see. We like doing this live on air. And Forvo says... Gierica. Gierica. Yeah, 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 sort of like Gornica. Yeah. Um, but Gierica, yeah, exactly. So he invented the world's first artificial vacuum. He took two copper hemispheres with rims that fit really tightly together. He sealed the rim with grease, and then he pumped all the air out of it. He had to invent, by the way, a special pump to do this. And once he had created this first artificial vacuum, he was surprised by how powerful the hold on it was. He even got a team of, get this, eight horses uh, on, on one hemisphere of this big copper globe he made and another eight horses on the other side, the other hemisphere. And then he, you know, he tried to get 
a team of horses to literally pull these hemispheres apart, and it didn't work. So not even not even 16 horses could tear this apart, and this went viral in Europe, or their equivalent of viral, right? The founder of modern chemistry, Robert Boyle, even heard about it over in England. People weren't able to replicate it because it was expensive, and we'll see that there are some technological challenges with uh, pneumatic engines even in the modern day. But um, as The Atlantic and Gizmodo report, Boyle was, uh, as it turns out, uh, from a pretty wealthy and influential family. Um, He was the son of the Earl of Cork. Gotta wonder if uh, Corks were named after the Earl of Cork. Or if it was probably Cork Ireland, Cork. yes, yeah. of course. Uh, but he's a silver spooner. He's a very, that's that's the phrase. Yeah, I like. Big yeah. time. That's a good one. Um, so he was able to finance um, this quite expensive contraption, um, and he did just that. He uh, got a little help to do it, though. A guy by the name of Robert Hooke. Right, right. The creator of micrographia or some physiological descriptions of minute bodies made by magnifying glasses with observations and inquiries thereupon. Yeah, this is this is a, a tome um, that outlines some pretty interesting and at the time very forward thinking uh, principles of using microscopes to examine natural phenomena. Also. If you ever are on a show like Jeopardy, you'll be interested to know that micrographia is the tome in which we see the biological term cell used for the first time. That's where they coin it. So imagine that the more you know, the sound cue or something like that, I I think we'll get sued if we use it. But you all get the drift. And Hook was not only, you know, the writer of this book and all these principles, he actually invented the compound microscope and uh, a lot of the kind of theory behind how it works and the the ability to combine two lenses to see very small objects Mm -hmm. as opposed to the telescope, which is a different principle that allows you to view very uh, large objects that are very, very far away. So (laughs) I like that. I like that contrast. So. The thing about Hook is not only was he a very smart guy, but he was also a little bit of a gearhead, a bit of a grease monkey. And it's a good thing that he was on Boyle's team because Boyle's design for this artificial vacuum was clunky. It was notoriously cantankerous. And oftentimes, from what we understand, Hook was literally the only person who could get the thing to actually work. It didn't take long before other scientists and other engineers figured out how to apply vacuum technology to their inventions. And one of the most notable uh, early examples of this was the pneumatic tube transport system used to deliver messages. Uh, This idea first came to us from a Scottish engineer named William Murdoch. And that was back in the early 19th century by the Late 19th century, by the 1890s, there were networks of pneumatic tubes shipping mail along under city streets. And the the tubes could hold up to 600 letters, which makes me think they were larger than the tubes you would see at your local bank. 
and they traveled pretty quickly. Yeah, around 35 miles an hour. And you saw the first introduction of such tubes in Philadelphia, Boston, Brooklyn, New York, uh, and Chicago, and St. Louis in around 1893. And, you know, this is kind of what we think of as the uh, the version of this technology that stuck around, because it's really not much different than ultimately what became those pneumatic tubes we think of at the banks. Right, right, just on a larger scale. By 1915, just those six cities alone had a total of 56 miles of tubes that were, that were active, that were transporting parcels and letters, and this was all under the street. You wouldn't be walking by and just hear a distant thump as the tube passed you at 35 miles an hour. Now, a logistical question yeah. um, just, just uh, I have for you, Ben, is would you need like sort of the equivalent of like an air traffic controller for these tubes? I mean, if you've got like that long mm. of a, you know, network of these things, wouldn't you risk potentially them getting clogged up or two tubes banging into each other? Or how, how would that work? I guess if you're sending one, it's always going to be ahead of the other one. But are they being fed by other, uh, other mm. locations? Like tributaries? Kind of. I, I wonder. I, 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 this is just me asking dumb questions that I don't have the answer to, which I know people love. It's a it's a hub system. So you would ship something to maybe a central hub. And if we're speculating, there would be human beings in that hub who would get a tube and then see its destination and put it in another tube for that destination. Right. And the closest thing we can see that I've, that I've witnessed that is that very scene in Elf and any other movie that you see a, a New York City mailroom. That's what's going on down there because they're using tubes to transport things to different floors in the offices, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of sorting going on and, you know, the hub system and then putting it into the right destination. So it ends up where it needs to go. And uh, it plays a very pivotal role in the uh, film Brazil as well. There's a mix-up with the pneumatic tube and uh, really messes up that uh, Tuttle and Buttle guy's lives. That's right. Tuttle, the, the old Tuttle-Buttle mix-up from uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Casey on the case, dropping the film knowledge. If you haven't seen that one, that's a really, really fun movie. I, uh, I've got some problems now with the director. Did you hear what he, he did recently? No. Yeah. Is Gilliam canceled? Uh, he's he's He said some stuff that felt very un-Gilliam. He's, he's, he's got the uh, the full boomer mindset. You know, he's, mm. he's a much older guy, and he's, uh, he's not with the times, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe maybe that's a story for a different day. Uh, he did have a great he did have a great run with Brazil. No one's arguing that. Here's the thing, though. You know, one group, one industry group that will always uh, be an early adopter for something that could help with a profit. It's going to be Wall Street. So pneumatic post systems began as delivery services for the stock market. And think about it, you know, it's all about timing, right? It's all about the trade. And so you want to know when to buy, the best moment to buy, the best moment to sell. And they would, you know, they like you didn't have a chance. Once the telegraph arose, you didn't have a chance of making serious money if you had to send something through post, wait days or weeks for someone to say, okay, buy it now, even though the price changed. And even telegraphs would get held up at the telegraph somewhere between the telegraph office and the stock exchange and so a tube could just i'm going to turn vump into a verb a tube could just vump a message to the to connect the stock exchange to the central station of the electric telegraph company this happened in london in 1853 they built a 660 foot tube to do just that and then these things started popping up all around the world 
all Europe was riddled with tubes at a time. Yeah, Slate does a great job of uh, outlining some of these original pneumatic tubes um, that are, you know, the networks of them beneath New York City in an article by Ella Morton um, that I highly recommend. It's actually an Atlas Obscure article that was republished. It's on their blog. On, yeah, yeah, that's right. That was republished on Slate. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Zooming through the tubes, the pneumatic mail networks hidden under city streets. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. So we know that they all started around the same time or the same era. What some of us might find surprising is that although these systems of tubes clearly wouldn't last forever. Some of them were very long-lived. The one in Paris was in operation until 1984, and rumor has it, again, that's from the Schizmodo article, that the UK House of Commons still has a pneumatic tube system in place for its telephones. And just like in Elf, you can find older buildings in New York that still have at least the skeleton of those pneumatic mail systems in place. So they may not be working, but you can still see that the tubes are around. Noel, could you tell us maybe a little bit about 
the Big Apples tubes? Yeah. Well, first of all, I will say if you do want to check them out, um, as of uh, February of 2018, this article on the culture trip.com was published. You can still see um, pneumatic tube systems on display in the uh, the New York Humanities and Social Sciences Library. Um, but after a 2016 renovation, um, pretty recently they were they're no longer operational. But yeah, I mean the Big Apple is lousy with tubes. Uh, they started in around 1897, like you said, around the same time as as the other um, the other tubes came into being, and there was a 27-mile route connecting 23 different New York City post offices. Uh, And we had them stretching from the east side uh, to the west side of Manhattan. Um, You had um, going a route going from Bowling Green to Wall Street and then way up north to East Harlem uh, and Manhattanville. Ah, yes, Manhattanville. Doesn't that sound very Simpson-esque? It does. (laughs) It sounds like sort of like a miniature of Manhattan, right? Like a diminutive Manhattan. It's yeah. it's like a, a one fifth the scale of Manhattan, one seventeenth the scale of Manhattan, and every building has a putt putt course. Mm-hmm. And then you have Manhattan Burg, uh, just a little further away. But don't go to Manhattanton. That place is just a wash in urban decay. You're not welcome there. No one is welcome in Manhattanton. So we know, uh, thanks to this article by Robert Cohen writing for the U.S. Postal Service, uh, that the first cylinder tube to travel through New York, the first actual, you know, individual tube contained the following, a Bible, a flag, and a copy of the Constitution. The second tube contained a fake peach, <laughs> oh, that's a that's a head scratcher. To, to, to what end? Uh, Why not send a real peach? Well, uh, Senator Chauncey Depew, who had the street name the Peach, uh, was was involved in the creation of this system. So this was honoring him. But how much honor? It was a fake peach. Anyway, it was a different time. Yeah, we had some living things transported through there as well, including a black cat. Uh, nobody quite knows why. Um, that, I don't know. They were just making sure. It's sort of like sending a monkey into space, you know, or that. What's that uh, space dog? Laika. Laika. Poor Laika. That one didn't go so well. I learned a really heartwarming, sad thing about her recently. Really? Yeah. That the, story wrecks me, dude. Yeah, the scientist, the scientist who um, – we're going to send her up into space. Of course, they bonded with her because they're not monsters. And the night before they launched Laika into space, uh, one of the scientists took her home to meet his family and let she got to play with the kids. Uh, so, uh, at least that's something. Hopefully she remembered that as she was. Uh, All right. Uh, okay. As far as we know, the black cat, was okay. Did okay. End. One of my favorite little anecdotes um, from that same article is they actually used the tubes to send sandwiches um, from the Bronx to downtown uh, post offices. Which means that the people who worked at the post office were like, hey, why don't we just, I don't want to go outside. Why don't we just tube some sandwiches up? I am envious of that now. Can you imagine if we could just tube food? That'd be nice. I would be so out of shape. I would just tube stuff. Well, I mean, we have the uh, the modern equivalent of that, which is Grubhub or DoorDash or Postmates. Yeah, but you don't have to walk outside if you're the it just tubes to you. Well, DoorDash, they come. You don't have to walk outside. You just crack the door or just like put a note just saying leave it on the <laughs> leave it on the doormat. I don't want to see another human. Have you done that? Of course. Wow. Just leave it on the door. Leave it on the door. Leave so, it on the the doorstep. Not you know. 
don't just throw it at the door. Yeah, that would be, that would be in poor form. <laughs> That's malicious compliance, if anything. Uh, so we know a little bit more about this system. The pneumatic tubes were somewhere on an average between four to six feet underneath the city streets. They were owned by private companies, and the city paid them for rent and labor. According to the author of the works, Kate Asher, this system wasn't perfect. It had high operating costs, and Asher attributes these high operating costs to its eventual downfall in New York. By 1918, According, this is an excerpt from the works. The federal government considered the annual rental payments made by the post office to be exorbitant. And they said, we have to find a new alternative with a greater capacity for transport. That ended up being the automobile. Hey, Ben, you're probably wondering, how, how much were the annual rental payments? They were pretty steep. In 1918, it was $17,000 per mile per year. So it's not $17,000 for the whole thing. It's $17,000 for one mile. You can see the argument there. Uh, it does feel very expensive. But contractors and some other stakeholders didn't want the tube to go away. They were making money uh, hand over vacuum. And they a bunch of contractors got together and successfully lobbied for the reinstatement of the pneumatic mail service in 1922. So it was just out, out of commission from 18 to 22 and then it continued on until about 1953. Uh, the Parisian system, which lasted, you know, as we said, till 1984. Covered a lot longer distance too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like 269 miles. That's crazy. So, Casey, um, is, is Paris a, a proportionately larger geographic uh, area than New York City. I'm I'm such no, a dummy. No, it's it's New York is way way bigger. So why uh, why 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 was the uh, why was the route in Paris so much longer? Do you think? I guess because it was crisscrossing all over the place, right? That must be. It's it. sort of like how you have miles and miles of uh, stuff inside you. you yeah, that that's, a, that, that's a good point. Because I guess uh, it seemed like Paris. Um, really nailed it a little more and maybe it was more functional and it was less of a novelty. Like they were really using it much more functionally than New York when in New York it was maybe a little bit more of like a, I don't know, what do you yeah. think? Well, how American is this? Part of the expense for the New York tubes was due to the size and diameter. The Parisian tubes were, I think, much more slender they were uh, they were not supersized like the New York ones. They were oh, They were only two inches in diameter. So you could send like a letter. You know what I mean? You could not send a cat, not a regular size cat. You could send maybe like a like a miniature cat. What about like a kitten? You mean? Oh, that, a yeah, kid, yeah, a miniature yeah, yeah. Cat. <laughs> that's yeah. where I was. That's the could, one I was. Could you could, send a litter of kittens though? That seems cruel. No, that seems no, like, just one. These tubes. I mean, were any of the, so? Tell me again the diameter, Ben. Only two inches. Oh, so it really was just designed for sending, like, handheld items. Yeah, I don't even think you could fit a kitten in there. Have we talked yet about the notion of uh, sending larger cargo through pneumatic tubes? Yes, we absolutely should. You see, why stop with a fake peach? Why stop with a real cat? Why not go all the way? Why not make a pneumatic transport system for human passengers? In 1799, an inventor named George Medhurst had a similar idea. He said, okay, he's one of those people who said we could move things pneumatically using the power of vacuum. Uh, and his idea was to do it through cast iron pipes, which would be incredibly heavy. But in 1812, he said, you know what? If we just, if, 
if the mechanism is sound, we can just build a bigger tube and we can put people in them. We can make uh, – he called them passenger carriages. So the unfortunate thing about Medhurst is he never actually got around to building this. He didn't have a pump that could create enough power to be a people mover. You know what I mean? It reminds me a little bit of the Hyperloop, the uh, the, the Elon Musk creation, oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. which isn't – powered by uh, air pumps, but the idea is to reduce friction as much as possible, and it does travel in, in a tube. Uh, it's a very high-powered um, people mover that would go from L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah, and the thing about that is the science is sound. It would work. It's just got a very high buy-in cost. You know what I mean? Uh, and that happens anytime you're building infrastructure of that size. We, we know that before, uh, by the way, just on the record, I've talked about this on a different show, but I'm a huge fan of the Hyperloop. It's it's crazy. I don't know if it'll ever get built, but gosh, I hope it does. We know that before the Hyperloop, there were people in the mid-1800s that were trying to build something like this. They were called atmospheric railways. Uh, they were in Ireland, London, and Paris, and the thing about London that's interesting is their system was just designed to transport packages, but it was already large enough to transport people. The Duke of Buckingham and several members of the board of directors of the London Pneumatic Dispatch actually did go through a pneumatic tube. They rode one on October 10th, 1865 to celebrate a new station, a new dispatch station being opened. And then later in 1864, there was a, um, I would say a prototype, a concept, you know, that was shown at the Crystal Palace. And they said, look, we're going to build a, we're going to build a real version of this. It's going to connect Waterloo and Charing Cross by running under the Thames. And this is interesting because there, this exhibit train was powered by this gigantic fan. It was like 22 feet across and then that was charged by a steam engine. And so they would, they would, you know, get the fan up to speed to push the tube. And then they would just, they would literally reverse the direction it was going in to pull the tube. See, that seems to be the inherent flaw in large scale versions of this thing. The infrastructure is just that. It's super large and requires a, a quite large um, power source uh, to generate that much suction, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They were in a situation, the species was in a situation where we were thinking, okay, the potential here is amazing. Now we just have to be smart enough to figure out the details. And a lot of people would would see one example of this somewhere in the world or hear about it and say, I'm going to build my own version and I'm going to build a better version. This leads us to a fellow named Alfred Eli Beach. He saw these pneumatic tube prototypes in London, and he was a resident in the U.S., and, and this stuff moved him, man. He, he published an article in 1849 in Scientific American where he said, let's build an underground subway. Uh, we'll, we'll build it under, under Broadway. It'll be in Manhattan. We'll use horse-drawn cars to carry passengers. So he was already kind of thinking about people-moving technology. And by the way, just people-mover, I think, is maybe something from Epcot. Uh, that I'm, I'm just sort of uh, appropriating. But uh, but things change for Beach when he finds out about pneumatics. And he is raving about it. In 1870, he says, 
A tube, a car, a revolving fan. Ah, well, that's easy. Little more is required. And, yeah. you know, you can picture him sort of like uh, tweedling his fingers together. So he built his prototype, but it was an above-ground model. And he brought it out at the American Institute Fair in 1867. Uh, we have a little bit of a description about this and how it worked. Yeah, it's what you might, uh, by today's standards, call a little bit lo-fi, uh, a little bit DIY. It was a, I mean, not DIY, it was definitely like a big undertaking, but it sounds a little rudimentary, but and a little bit like a novelty, honestly, right? Yeah. Um, so it really wasn't much more than a six-foot uh, diameter, 100-foot-long wooden tube, which seems really problematic with wood. It seems like Doesn't it create a lot porous? of friction, right? Yeah. Well, porous, sure, it wouldn't say the elements, but it also seems like it would just kind of splinter as 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 the uh, as the the tube moved through it, um, or as the whatever the receptacle, I guess, uh, moved through it. But um, it was a small uh, carriage that would hold about ten folks, and it would be this car, sort of like almost like a funhouse ride, would be uh, pushed through by air pressure created by another one of these giant fans. But you know, this is this is like. To adopt this kind of this is for lack of a, this is technology. You really have to get buy-in, you know, from the folks that are in charge of allowing people to do construction, and that's the that's a big deal. Even today, we see it with things like infrastructure and updating, you know, uh, fiber cable, and you know, you have to like completely uh, be in business with the city. And he could not make that argument well enough, so he was not allowed to do the construction because he would have had to construct these underground uh, networks of these weird wooden tubes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit of conspiratorial speculation there for Beach because you'll hear different accounts arguing that the infamous Boss Tweed and his cabal of wealthy elites uh, in the neighborhood. Tammany Hall, right? Yeah. Actually blocked Beach's plan because it competed with their own financial interests. Well, that's right. And this is like what you would consider uh, disruptive technology. I mean, it had the potential to um, replace other more traditional modes of transportation. And it's also pretty environmentally uh, sound, I guess, if you think about it, if it's just using air and not fuel. But I guess, you know, those uh, air pumps would have to be powered somehow. Do we know if they were fuel powered or if it was electric? You know, I wonder. It wouldn't have mattered, though, because Tweed wasn't going to let him build it. If you believe, you know, the more uh, uh, the more sensationalized accounts of history. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. 
the danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. But Beach did not give up. He said, here's what he did. He, uh, in Chicago, he said, okay, I get it, guys. Maybe I was a little off my kit on that one, but, uh. Uh, let me build you a pneumatic mail delivery system. Let's be reasonable. And he began building it, but he was lying to them. He was actually building an underground pneumatic subway anyway. And in February of 1870, he unveils the creation. Everybody loves it because the station is luxurious. There's a grand piano, chandeliers. There's a fountain that has goldfish, which will come into play in a future episode of Ridiculous History. Uh, he charged people 25 cents to ride a block, and he kept fighting for three years after that to get the permission from the city to extend his line. He wanted it to go all the way to Central Park. He did eventually succeed. He must have made peace with the powers that be, and they might have had much more success, might have even expanded further, except a stock market crash occurred, the Panic of 1873, and no one was trying to spend money on novelty transport like pneumatic tubes. And let me clarify there. The place where he actually built this uh, system was in New York. It was not in Chicago. Uh, and still, the stock market crash is what crushed him. And the idea of building this system actually passed through bills in New York state legislature twice in 1871 and 1872, but they were vetoed by the state governor. The official reason was that a pneumatic subway wouldn't be able to uh, be enough of a return on investment for the city and the state. But again, the other reason, the proposed reason, is that the prominent landowners of the area were against it, that the wealthy said. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, they, 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 yeah exactly. It's not in my backyard. It's that whole NIMBY thing. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's not true. That, that's more. No, that, that, that is, is that very is true. much true. Yeah, the, the not NIMBY, in my backyard. The, that, that, that refers to folks that don't want a disruption to the, 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 the status quo or whatever. Like Whether that. a windmill or a building a prison nearby. That's right, or a nuclear reactor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but speaking of more uh, futuristic uh, implementations of this, um, you know, those failures by Beach um, didn't entirely kill this technology. Uh, we talked a bit about the Hyperloop, um, and I actually didn't realize that it, it it does use vacuum tube technology. It's something called vac trains. Yeah, vacuum tube trains. Uh, the, the Hyperloop is based on a lot of this stuff. The, the U.S. government also investigated the concept of pneumatic tubes, but they were interested way back in the 1960s in the science of running a vacuum tube train using magnetic levitation technology. And they wanted to build a line between Philly and New York City, but ultimately they said, yet again, it's too expensive. And from that point, from beach to like the modern day, we have so many examples of things that really could have taken off, but were deemed too expensive or never left the drawing board. There was an engineer for Lockheed named L.K. Edwards back in 67, 1967, that is. He said, let's build a Bay Area gravity vacuum transit system. What's that acronym? Uh, that would be a bagvit or a bagvat if we wanted to cheat. That's pretty funny. Bagvat is Because what they have there now is uh, what's called the BART, which is the Bay Area Rapid Transit System. And this was designed to run uh, in tandem with the BART, if I'm not mistaken. You're spot on, my friend. Yes, and the problem was that this, this bag vat, sadly, was never built. And even Beach himself did not live to see his pneumatic subway system because he passed away before one was built. He died of pneumonia on January 1st, 1896. What a kick in the pants to die on the first day of the year. Or I don't know, maybe it's like I just got over the finish line. Yeah. Let's be positive about it. Let's do that. Yeah. We try to stay positive here on Ridiculous History. Um, but yeah, one thing that, that, that pretty much gets us to the present more or less because like you said, we do have um, still proposed uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX, uh, VAC train technology um, being used to create an airless uh, tube where there's no resistance so that this um, uh, Hyperloop train can move very, very quickly. What, what's the proposed? Uh, top speed of the uh, of the Hyperloop, Ben? Well, according to Elon Musk, it would have a top speed of 760 miles per hour or 1,220 kilometers an hour. That's if everything works, you know. Right. And the thing about it is I think uh, that whole project largely remains in the conceptual realm, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if any actual construction is uh, taking place because, again, it's a massive infrastructure uh, undertaking that you do have to get the buy-in of, of those, uh, those, those you know, municipalities that are along that route, which would be I-5. Mm-hmm. And currently, in addition to a few isolated test cases with human beings, uh, we do know other living creatures have taken a trip through underground tubes, probably not consensually, not just uh, that black cat in the third tube from earlier, but also dogs, mice, roosters, monkeys, guinea pigs, and uh, one time fish. 
And I think we do actually have a little bit of a background on that black cat. Um, that was done on October 7th of 1897 um, at the General Post Office in New York. Um, and this was meant to be an opening ceremony where they were going to demonstrate uh, all of those various items that we discussed. And that day they uh, actually did transport the cat. Um, and he, uh, he's described as being pulled, quote, dazed and probably not terribly enthused about about uh, human technological innovation um, out of that tube. And that is from an article on theatlantic.com entitled, That Time People Sent a Cat Through the Mail. And here our story ends, but research continues. And here's hoping that one day we can all ride the Hyperloop together. Uh, to the horizon with the Hyperloop, I say, forward technology, forward to the future. Let's whoop into a brave new world of transport. Uh, question for everybody listening, as always, thank you for tuning in. Would you ride a pneumatic tube subway? I'm all about it. Something feels retro-futuristic about it, you know? It's like you're a, you're a character in the Jetsons or something. And for some reason, I, I keep thinking the Jetsons had pneumatic tubes, but maybe... Maybe I'm no, they did. They did. They, 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 they were transported just floating through them. Yeah. Right? Isn't that right, Casey? You remember in the Jetsons? Isn't there, wasn't there like networks of pneumatic tubes where they were kind of just, you know, literally sucked through? Yeah, I think it's it's sort of that retro-futuristic thing. That's right, because, yeah, it's the kind of stuff you would you would see in Jules Verne uh, novels or whatever, the idea of that steampunk vision of the future. And that's why we still kind of associate that quality with pneumatic tubes, even though they're largely a bit antiquated. But, you know, Elon Musk is trying to bring them back, and, and Godspeed to him. I, I think the Hyperloop idea seems uh, interesting, but I do believe there's some controversy behind it, and uh, people aren't quite sure if it'll work uh, exactly the way he thinks. Bring back the tube. That's what I say. Forward to the future with the tube. Uh, let's put it on a T-shirt. Maybe I'm just saying that because I'm dr- the coffee mug I'm drinking out of today is actually a ridiculous history coffee mug. You can get one for yourself at tpublic.com slash ridiculous history. You can get mugs and, and uh, other uh, other stuff that you sh- print logos on. Shirts. Shirts, of course. That's T-Public's uh, bread and butter. Uh, but they also do mouse pads. People still use mouse pads. Yeah. Do, we, do, do they do capes? You might be able to send them an item and have them custom printed. Who knows? Uh, but you can check that stuff out, and uh, we get like a, a tiny fraction of, of, the, uh, of the proceeds there. We get a little less fired. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks so much, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Research associate, Gabe Loser. Uh, Christopher Hasiotis, always here in spirit. Looking forward to hanging out with him and you, Ben, uh, in, in Los Angeles next week when we're doing some business travel. And uh, we'll probably have Alex there as well. Uh, thanks to Eve's Jeffco. Check out her show, This Day in History class, as well as Solution Sessions. You will also remember Eve's, of course, from an earlier episode of our show concerning Uncle Tom's Cabin. We want to hear your opinions about weird transport. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we are on Facebook with a community page called Ridiculous Historians. Do check it out. It's a barrel of laughs. It's a bag of hilarious badgers. It really is. And, and aren't badgers ever anything but hilarious? Yes, I think they are. They can be quite vicious sometimes. Yes, so this is uh, this is the kinder, gentler version of the badger. Uh, you can find us as individual human people on social media as well. I am exclusively on Instagram at How Now Noel Brown. 
And you can find me on Instagram at Ben Bolin, or you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin HSW. Uh, I, I will say, you know, I've got some adventures coming up, so tune in and find me on the social meets. Uh, no, I am looking forward to hitting the road until the tube system is built, you know, uh, but here's to riding in the tube one day. I look forward to it, Ben. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.